Let me tell you a little bit about ourselves. We're social researchers, authors, and for the past two decades, we've worked to dig out the little things that make a big difference in our lives and relationships. We have two kids, and we live in Atlanta, Georgia. Let me start by telling you a story about my dad. Um, he grew up not knowing that he had vision problems. Um, he got by in school by sitting close to the board, all that kind of stuff. And when he was 14 years old, um, his mom took him to the eye doctor to get a vision test. And they discovered, it turns out he was legally blind. His first sort of clear vision memory was when the doctor leaned over and put the glasses onto his face and he completely yelled because he was like, oh my gosh, people have features. This was a new thing for him. And his mom drove him home and he was just entranced. Like the trees have leaves on them. And they weren't just these green blurry blobs and kids at school had faces. And of course I asked dad late, you know, when he was telling me the story, I said, how did you know who was who? And he said, I just memorized their voices and um, memorized what they were, the colors they were wearing that day. And you know, it, would, it worked fine, but he was missing so much of life. Can you imagine how that would inhibit a social life, for example, all those years? There was so much more to life than what he had been experiencing, and he had absolutely no idea. He was totally able to cope fine. He had all these workarounds he could get by, but there was so much more that God had for him. So we understand that you're doing a sermon series on uh, Summer of Love too, and you're tackling areas of challenge in marriage. We want to talk about one of the biggest ones. Whenever you hear about the number one cause of problems in marriage, What's always at or near the top of the list? Money, right? So this is a topic that affects every area of our life and relationships. And yet, just as with Shanti's dad, we're missing out on so much of what marriage could be and should be around money, and we don't even realize it. We want to give you a vision for another way and share three simple principles to get you there. So here's the vision. In our relationship around money, God wants us to move from coping to thriving. And we believe that a key scripture principle applies here. It's John 10.10. Here Jesus says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. God wants us to have life abundantly. Jesus didn't come to only give us eternal life in heaven, but abundant life here as well. Despite the troubles that come from living in this fallen world, God has good things for us. And yet, for most of us, when it comes to money in our relationships, we're not at all living in that sort of abundance that God has for us. And we have no idea what we're missing. Most of us are doing the equivalent of what my dad did. We're walking around every day without glasses, so to speak, and doing workarounds. In other words, when it comes to money in a relationship, most of us have merely learned to kind of cope. We figured out how to get by, to make it work. And that's the case, it turns out in our research, for about 80% of us. And now about, I need to say, about 20% of couples are able to connect around money great and talk about it whenever you want to and there's no awkwardness. And you guys who are in that 20%, you see all the richness and the intimacy that comes from that. And listen, the rest of us are a little bit jealous of you. We kind of think you're mutants because the rest of us don't really like talking about money. So we sort of avoid it when we can and sort of suck it up when we can't and we have to talk about it. Here's a silly example, but 
suppose that one of you wants to spend the money to take the kid to the, your kids to the doctor, and the other one wants to just wait a few days, see the, how they do, you kind of cope. You, you don't really necessarily have this big conversation about it, but maybe whomever is used to dealing with the kids gets to make that decision. But you don't necessarily like the opportunity to talk about it and connect around what's going on in your hearts at the moment. In our research, 77% of us can't really talk about money well. 81% of us don't have a real budget. But we manage to get along, okay. We think it's fine, this is just the way it is. And that's what Shanti and I would have said about ourselves. We weren't on the same page, but we managed. Even though we shared bank accounts and consulted each other on big purchases, we each tended to just do our own thing when it came to money. Things weren't great, but they weren't awful, and it was fine. But does that sound like abundant life to you? For us, even after years of doing relationship research, it wasn't until we did this project that we realized we were missing so much. We were living way below that abundance that God intended for our relationship. We discovered that all of us can move from money being a source of kind of conflict or avoidance or coping to money being a source of really deep connection and intimacy and closeness in our marriage. That's why I was so thrilled when Pastor Jonathan mentioned the sermon series and asked us to share on our, our latest research project because we just finished a three-year research study on this topic for our book, Thriving in Love and Money. And just to be clear, we weren't studying how to have a great budget, because you don't want our advice on how to have a great budget. We were studying how do you have a great relationship around money? How do you come together around money in your marriage? And let us just say, before we dig into the, the principles, this has never been more important in our recent history. Hmm. Um, one third of households have lost a job because of the pandemic and the shutdown. And even as things come back up, there's likely to be this kind of uncertainty in our economy for years to come. We need to be able to come together around money. We found in the research that the greatest obstacle to financial freedom, to getting out of debt, to giving and tithing, like what your pastors talk about, it isn't lack of a budget. The greatest obstacle isn't that we spend more than we save or that we don't know how to plan. All those things can certainly be issues, but the biggest obstacle is the inability of a husband and wife to sit down at the kitchen table and talk about money. And yet we also found that that ability to sit down and talk about money without that kind of difficulty is the number one factor in whether you have a great relationship around this topic. And this is a topic you interact with every day. So in other words, coming together around money is a huge part of living in and having that abundant life and relationship in marriage that God has for us. And that's the vision we believe God has for us. In a moment, we're gonna share those three principles that will help us all get there, mm -hmm. but we recognize that some of you are gonna be concerned about two things. So let me quickly address those. First, when we talk about abundance, we're not talking about God promising financial surplus. That's an important topic, but it's a topic for another day. Instead, we wanna focus on having this abundant life in our relationship when it comes to money. Having peace, joy, contentment, and a sense of being richly blessed, regardless of what you have. Yeah. 
In our research, some of the most amazing marriages were among couples who had very, very little. How do we get to that in our marriage? And, and second, some of you are wondering, how does this apply to singles? We think this particular topic is incredibly important for singles. After all, the average age of marriage today is 28 or 29, and the vast majority of us go into our marriage with our finances already kind of independently figured out, right? So in order to eventually come together and get married and merge your finances with someone, Everything that we're going to be talking about is huge for having a great relationship from the beginning. Also, any of you who are out there dating know that money is one of the key questions in everyone's mind. Like, why does he have so much credit card debt? Or does she seem like more of a spender or more of a saver? Or often guys tell me one of their big questions is, am I financially stable enough to ask her to marry me? So... Understanding this topic is so helpful for anyone who's interested in getting married or married again. So let's tackle those three principles and those steps that will get us to that vision of abundant life uh, around money in our relationships. So here's the first principle. To set this up, let me say this. The real reason that coping that we've been talking about is a problem, the reason that's a problem isn't that you're trying to make do. It's good to be adaptable. It's great to compromise in marriage. The problem with coping is that you're never getting to the real issue. Because principle number one is this. When you are having tension around money, it's not about the money. It's about how money makes you feel and how it makes your spouse feel. It's about a host of expectations and worries and insecurities and beliefs about how money should work that are running underneath the surface and we don't even know all that stuff is there. And the big issue here is that we all tend to think that it is about the money, and therefore the solution is obvious. If we just had more money, we wouldn't fight about it. Not true. If it was true, rich people would (laughs) never fight about money. And yet, wealthy people are just as likely to have issues as anyone else. So when I get irritated because Shanti wants to get takeout and spend $40 on that right now, I have to realize that it's not about the money, or even mostly about the money. It's about something else. And recognizing this fact is like putting glasses on for the first time. You begin to see money issues completely differently. Let me give you an example. This is kind of embarrassing to admit, but for years, Jeff and I were not on the same page about financial planning stuff. He kept wanting to go to the Dave Ramsey course at our church, and I kept saying, oh gosh, honey, I'm so busy, you know, got these events, I'm traveling, I'll miss sessions. Listen, all those are reasons, they weren't the real reason. I just didn't want to go with him. So unfortunately, he finally went to Dave Ramsey on his own because I wouldn't go with him. But neither of us were really thinking about what was underneath the surface. No. <laughs> what was it in her that was causing her not to want to go with me? And what was it in me that was viewing her in a certain way because she didn't want to go? We weren't thinking about the stuff, that sort of stuff, at all. And yet the outcome was entirely because of those reasons. And it had very little to do with the surface reasons like being too busy. If we could have known to look deeper, we would have been able to deal with the real reasons. It turns out 
everything that is happening on the outside with us, like if you're getting irritated by a way that your spouse is handling something, for example, all of that is because of what is going on on the inside. So the key to being able to talk and come together around money is to look for those real reasons. So that's your first action step we wanna suggest to you all. The next time that you find yourself irritated or frustrated with your spouse around money or your spouse is frustrated with you, (laughs) ask yourself, really, why am I feeling this way? Why am I reacting this way? What is the problem underneath the problem other than the technical worry about those dollars and cents? For example, once I realized there was something underneath my desire to avoid the Dave Ramsey class, I realized here's what it was. I know my husband, and I know he's kind of an all or nothing kind of guy, and I was worried he was gonna come back from Dave Ramsey and put us on the equivalent of a 500 calorie a day diet. Yeah, that looks so (laughs) reasonable to you that that would happen. Like we're gonna eat only franks and beans for the next year to save money, okay? And I'm like, I felt like I wouldn't have the ability to say, "Uh, no, that's not okay with me. I don't wanna handle it that way. So subconsciously, it was safer just to avoid this conversation entirely. And I realized that what was in me wasn't mostly a technical desire to eliminate the last of our student debt or meeting a certain formula for how much savings we had to have for retirement. That was there, but really, when Shanti didn't care as much about savings as I did, or didn't seem to want to plan for the future like I did, I felt like she didn't care about me. And I was probably maybe kind of a a, a tiny bit judgmental about it. So that caused Shanti to (laughs) shut down even more. But listen, here's the key to all of this. Once we were a little further into the research and starting to learn some of this stuff, Jeff realized all of this. He realized the whole scope of this. And he came to me and he said, you know, I realize that you think I'm going to be imposing these austerity measures on you and you want a life and I'm sorry. And I get that. It made it so much easier to be willing to open up and hear his heart and to want to honor him and his worries and to be able to come together and talk about it. So the second principle that's going to transform your ability to come together and really create this abundant life and marriage around money that God has for us stems from that first principle. Once you know it's not about the money and you're looking underneath the surface to see what those underlying feelings are, you're going to see that your spouse has totally different feelings and totally different impressions than you do about money-related things. Different things are going to matter to them than matter to you. And yet, here's principle number two. You have to recognize what your spouse cares about and view that value as legitimate, even if you may at times disagree with it. And not doing this is one of the most common sources of friction around money and marriage. When what matters to our spouse doesn't really matter to us, and we don't quite understand it, we subconsciously dismiss those things, or we may even think that they're wrong. That was so me. Shanti's been much more willing to spend money on clothes or going out to eat than me. She seems to feel like things will always just work out, because they always have. I'd look at that and sort of think, She just had a character flaw. (laughs) And the thing is, most of us don't realize that we have that judgment against our spouse, but we may. And it's undermining how we feel about each other. Yeah, we 
We know our spouse is a different person, but for some reason, we don't translate that into thinking that how they want to handle money might be just as legitimate as how we do. Now, obviously, there are some exceptions where somebody has a a gambling addiction or someone is extremely controlling around money. And if that's you, please seek out help and counsel right away. But those cases are rare. In most cases, it's not that one of you is right and the other one is wrong. Usually, you're just valuing something different. And we need to honor that we're created differently, honor that in each other. If we're going to successfully come together around money, talk about it and make a plan for going forward. When we talk about valuing something different, there are a lot of different ways that that works. Oh, gosh, so yeah. let me give you a few examples. It, it could be that disagree, you're disagreeing about whether or not you need all the bells and whistles in that version of the refrigerator you're, you're looking to buy. Or it could be that uh, um, perhaps one of you is willing to spend money to save time and the other one's like, really? I was always perplexed as to why Shanti was willing to pay an extra service fee to reserve seats at a movie theater. Instead of like going in early and standing in line for an hour? Exactly. <laughs> So, the other day, we interviewed a young couple who were having an intense argument about whether to use their emergency stimulus check to pay down debt or to build up their emergency savings fund instead. We list a number of different values differences in the book, so you can show those to your spouse and see what applies to you. Now, here's a concrete example of how this works. Many marriages have a tension, we'll use this as an example because it's so common, many marriages have a tension between one person being more of a saver and one person being more of a spender. And right now, all the savers out there are feeling very vindicated, right? Like, after all, this type of season is what we're all supposed to be saving for. And of course, valuing savings is really important. Actually, as an aside, in the research, we learned that building up some cushion is not just important for Mm. our our finances, but for our marriage. Turns out it doesn't matter how much income you have, what matters is living below that line so that you build up some cushion. But for me and Jeff, our cushion probably isn't enough. And a few weeks into the shutdown, Jeff actually confessed he'd been dealing with a little bit of resentment. Like he came to me and he said, look, if we hadn't gone out to eat, all those times last year, or if we hadn't gone to Disney World with the kids, we would have thousands more dollars in our bank account right now, which we could really use when all of our speaking engagements are canceled and our income has been so disrupted. But then a few days later, I came to her and said, you know, I have to realize that those experiences, they built memories and connected us together. They created so much more closeness for us as a family. And now that we're stuck on top of one another in quarantine, we like each other. I realized that I'd been thinking about spending on those things as purely a net cost, and I wasn't seeing the benefit. Shanti was viewing those family times at the movies or on vacation as an investment. Now, I don't have to agree with what Shanti values all the time. Often I still don't. I think that we could have invested in family togetherness by doing family picnics at the park for free. But it's important to respect her values and view them as just as legitimate as mine. 
Listen, the key for an abundant marriage in this area is to come to agreement on what God is calling you as a couple to do with money. And to do that, you have to be able to not just pray about it, you also have to be able to come together and talk about it. So here's your next action step. The next time that there's a disagreement or tension around money, ask yourself, even if I disagree with my spouse, have I shown them that I understand what they value. Once you do that, it lowers both of your defenses, but more important, it increases closeness and intimacy because you're understanding something new about your spouse, a way that they are completely different from you. And that is a big part of the two becoming one in marriage. So now let's turn to the third and final principle for getting to that abundant marriage around money. This one is so important, not just actually for connecting well with your spouse um, around money, but actually connecting well in general. You have to understand and empathize with your spouse's fears and worries, which are probably very different from yours. For some of us, the fears actually may be directly money-related, and others may be actually using money to soothe those feelings. So just like we have different values, we also have different fears and insecurities that impact us in a very gut level, maybe irrational way. And they can be a bit like a raw nerve. And here's the key. We often instinctively want to handle money in a way that'll make us feel better in those sensitive, in those sensitive areas, those areas of fear. And the problem is, this is often subconscious, so we don't even understand our own feelings, much less our spouses, but we have to because these are real vulnerabilities, yeah. and they impact how we interact around money every day. Because of these different like fears and raw nerves, sometimes we're in a money conversation with our spouse and they want to handle something around money in a different way, we sometimes might have strong feelings and reactions without really understanding why. But once we recognize what is hitting that nerve in us or in our spouse, it does two things that actually make a marriage so much better. First, you can have that good, productive money conversation without getting triggered, so to speak, but also it becomes an opportunity to show your spouse that you see and you care for those areas of vulnerability, those really vulnerable, tender places in their heart. So let's jump in to what those vulnerabilities are. The most important big picture thing to know and the reason we tend not to get what matters to our spouse is that men and women tend to have very different primary fears. Yeah. Although money stuff is not usually gender related at all, this is one of the few places where the research revealed significant differences. Now that said, there are always exceptions. For example, if 75% of women felt a certain way, that meant that 25% didn't, right? But this will give you a starting point for seeing which fears do apply to you and to your spouse. So here's an illustration of how this kind of works. Let me ask, do any of you have a fear of heights? I know I do. So just sort of imagine that you do. And imagine that you're standing right on the edge of a 1,000-foot cliff. What does that feel like? It feels like it's sort of magnetically pulling at you, right? Like you're about to be sucked over the cliff and die. It's an irrational fear, but it's really real. So what do you do? 
you back away from the edge, right? You try to keep your distance. And you get really annoyed when your spouse, who doesn't have that same fear, is going, come on, take a selfie with me on the edge. And you're like, are you nuts? Can you not see that you're about to fall over and die? That drop of that cliff is looming really large in your eyes. Well, when it comes to money, statistically, men and women tend to have two very different cliff fears. A man's fear, statistically, tends to be more, am I gonna be able to provide for my family? Am I enough to keep my family from falling? That's the knee-jerk, very gut-level fear. And this was the case, by the way, during normal times for the economy. I wonder what it would be like if we did that survey today. And we heard from a lot of women that it was hard for them to grasp how big a deal this was for men. Mm. As one woman told us, but my husband, he's so competent. He's so good at what he does. Why would he ever doubt himself like that? Now, ladies, guys may look confident on the outside, but most of us just don't feel that way on the inside. We truly worry that we're inadequate or that we're gonna fail you. So that cliff, it looms very large in our eyes. Statistically, most women simply don't tend to have that fear in quite the same way. Sure, women worry about money like anyone else, but ladies, it doesn't seem to be that same gut-level fear that you won't be enough to keep your family from falling. For a guy, that's always there and always pulling at us. Now, to counteract that fear, because it is always there, a guy tries to back away from the edge, so to speak. So what does he do to stay away from that fear? He'll work a lot of extra hours. He'll try to close extra deals to bring in more cash. Um, Maybe he'll work every late hour his boss asks him to, just so that he's seen as indispensable. He's less likely to be the one furloughed. I was talking to the wife of a police officer not long ago, and she was telling me her husband was taking every conceivable overtime hour that he possibly could right now because he's so worried about money. And so he's away from home even more than usual, and when he is home, he's really stressed. So that tends to be the cliff that looms large for a guy. But although women are just as likely to be worried about money in a technical sense, it's usually not a cliff here. For a woman, the deepest emotional question isn't, are our finances okay, but are we okay? Is our marriage okay? Does he really love me? Are the kids feeling loved? Believe it or not, guys, that beautiful woman who's sitting next to you really (laughs) questions these things. Where you may question, am I enough to provide for the family? Your wife may question, am I enough for you? This is the case even in a great relationship, and it has several impacts on money. For one, women tend to take on their husband's money stress. As one woman put it, when he's stressed, I'm stressed. I sort of absorb the emotions of those around me. Because of the way the female brain is wired, the cliff question of are we okay is very real and common. And it's particularly acute when there are times of stress or when you're upset with her or the kids are in distress. You care about these things too, but usually you don't think that they're a sign that something could be seriously wrong. That argument you had where you left the house mad is just an argument to you where she's truly worried about the family falling over the cliff and she's looking to be reassured that you love her and that you'll get through this together and that the two of you are okay. 
Another way that that relates to money, actually, is in order to stay away from their edge of that, you know, are we okay cliff, women are more likely to do things that build that sense of emotional security, not just financial security. They're trying to build that sense that we're okay, but those things that we do that build emotional security will often cost money, which may make their husband's question of can I provide worse. The wife of that police officer that I mentioned said that when her husband has that black cloud of doom hovering over his head, the answer to are we okay, is emphatically no. And this husband, he missed a lot of moments with their son. He's trying to do a good job, but he's gone a lot, and there's so much going on, and little irritations are becoming big ones. So now he's both really stressed and distant. So what does she do? She looks to, for ways to stay back from her edge in order to build closeness. So she goes to him and says, honey, why don't we come and have dinner on your dinner break so that we can have some time together? We'll go to a restaurant nearby. And of course, that costs money. So guess what? That pulls the husband closer to his edge. So he tries to work even more hours, which takes him away even more, which makes her even more anxious and more disconnected and so on. So let me share how this has played out in our lives. When our kids were little, Shanti and I would be laying in bed at night, and one of the kids would walk into the room and say, my throat hurts, to which Shanti would immediately say, I need to take them to the pediatrician in the morning to get a strep test. Now, we're both self-employed, and we don't have traditional health insurance, so I'm immediately thinking, great, this is gonna cost us between $100 and $150 out of pocket. And then I'd think, Eight of the last times the strep test came back negative. So I'd say, look, pioneer children didn't run off to the pediatrician every time they had a sore throat. And they died. <laughs> okay, so, so I need a better example. But this may seem like a silly example, but the key is that both our cliff fears were being triggered by the sore throat. Jeff's fear was being pulled mm. towards that financial cliff. My mind was running with all sorts of other scary scenarios. Well, what if they do have strep? That means that they shouldn't be in school, so I'll need to be home with them. I'll need to cancel my meetings. But if I cancel my meetings, what's going to happen with a big event we've been planning on? And so on and so on. And oh, the poor little thing, they're so miserable. So I was much more willing to go to the doctor right away. Now, I love my kids too. And it wasn't like if they'd went to the doctor and the strep test came back positive, I'd be like, yes, at least we got value for the expenditure. But I would have felt like it was at least worth some of the money if that was the case. <laughs> but now that we've talked about it, I came to realize that there was another reason that it was worth the money. Because it helped Shanti put that cliff fear to rest. She wasn't just paying $100 just for the strep test. She was paying $100 in order to not have all those worries in her head. So the key for both of us, when one or both of us is reacting in an emotional way, we need to ask what are you really afraid of? Yeah. Try to understand what's hitting that raw nerve so that you can talk about it and show you care. Listen, being able to share these things and understand each other, can't you tell why it would be a game changer, especially in this weird season that we're living through? It, this is going to allow us to become so much more one in marriage. So often, money's been an area where kind of we each do our own thing, or we think of money as sort of your money and your paycheck and my money and my paycheck, rather than 
our money. God says that an abundant marriage is where these two people really are becoming one. And with this understanding of each other, money really can change from being an opportunity for conflict to being an opportunity for real connection and closeness and God-given abundance in your marriage. Now we've shared with you some of the key findings from our research on money and relationships. And if you think on these things and work to apply them in your life, we've found that they'll dramatically improve your relationship around money. Even folks who don't share our faith could treat them as tips and techniques to improve their relationships. But as fellow believers, we hope you won't stop there because there's so much more. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit will help guide us into all truth. What an an amazing gift that is to us. So we'd ask you to take these things that we've shared, pray about them, pray for the person that you're in relationship with, and ask the Holy Spirit to give you insights into yourself and into them and how you can better love and serve them. As the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. That's our hope. Thank you.